Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed, and this particular episode is Cues of the Force. The Q stands for questions. All the other words in the title are just the words they are. I'm Joseph Scripshaw. I'm Ken Napsack, and I love that at one point we said Q's, and we're sticking by it. No need for <laughs> It questions. made sense when it was Q's. news and Q's, but now yes. I, I don't know. Yeah, we're just saving space in the, in the tweets. That's what we're doing here. 
<laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That's how that's how radio uh, catchphrases and titles happen. Totally by accident. <laughs> right? It's like when people call pizza za. It's just fun, right? Or I'm maybe annoying, depending on who you are. I, I have a friend who, who stands by that, and I t- obviously I get it. I get it. I, I get where it comes from. It's just it doesn't click with me. Doesn't yeah. You you are you okay with mac and cheese, or do you feel it should be macaroni and cheese? Uh, macaroni and cheese is like no. That's like someone sent you in a, a formal letter, and you asked for a text. No, it's mac and cheese. <laughs> Please use both of my middle names when addressing me. Says macaroni yeah. and cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, m- my mom texts me, "Dear son, I reach out to you at this time via our telephonic <laughs> devices." My mom just texts. P.S. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Sadly, not mac and cheese, but maybe someday. We're happy to have Audible, though. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash forcecenter. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are continuing to recommend Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. It is a great and, dare I say, important Star Wars book. So if you would like to give it a listen... You can download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash forcecenter. One more time, that's audibletrial.com slash forcecenter for a free audiobook. All right, Ken, are you ready for some questions? Let's do it. Let's get to them cues. Some questions or some cues. Uh, first up, we have two from Twitter. As always, we're going to Daniel Lewis. Daniel says, is Padme a droid thief? It's always appeared to me that Padme takes C-3PO from the Lars homestead in episode two and replaces him in gold to avoid future detection. Did the Lars family report Padme for grand theft automaton? And did they demand compensation for losing a farmhand? Uh, this is a fun question, I think, uh, uh, very much stated in a fun way. About intergalactic law and droid ownership. <laughs> mm. I think 3 would enjoy answering this question, getting into the details and the protocol and what is, what is proper. Uh, so, Ken, where do you go with this? Uh, have you ever been struggled with this 3PO ownership issue? No, no. And this is a great question from Daniel. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's really strong in its accusations, but with great fun here. Um, but I think maybe I had so much reverence for Padme, like as if she was a real person, that I just would not dare think of this of her. But uh, I do <laughs> like it. And I think it's one of those things that I love those little details of Star Wars that can um, – you know, be conversation starters for decades or someone just brings it up or occasionally you get like a weird kind of sort of answer to it. And I think there was some of that stuff to me in the Padme novels by E.K. Johnston mm-hmm. uh, that I just hadn't thought, oh yeah, but by, by Attack of the Clones, how, like R2 and 3, you're like, yeah, how does that switch happen? Like, all that stuff. And so especially by Revenge of the Sith. So I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but I like thinking about it here today. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think this is a really fun question. I think it is something that people have debated about, like, 3PO just getting on that ship. Was he stolen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my take is that, no, no, uh, uh, this this is not uh, Padme's legal issue. Um, I think, it, it, in my headcanon, in, in analysis, this is a question of 3PO's agency. Um mm. Because uh, rewatching the clip, you know, he comes and he he interrupts <laughs> Shmi's service. Yes, yes. Uh, to let them know that R2 is carrying this message from Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then 3PO appears to come onto the ship of his own volition. Mm-hmm. And uh, Big appears. Maybe, maybe Anakin said, come here. Um, but the key thing to me is when Padme decides to leave and says, hey, you, the Jedi told you 
The Jedi Council told you to protect me, Anakin, and I'm going to rescue Obi-Wan. They share their smile. Uh, 3PO has no objection. Uh, in one of 3PO's favorite things to do in life is to object to things, right? <laughs> so if 3PO thought in any way that it wasn't proper for him to go along with his maker and mm. former master, Anakin, uh, I think 3PO would have objected. To me, this is yeah. about... 3PO feeling like uh, he's the maker. He is my sort of, he's the one I owe the, the my my service to. He's the one I want to be with. Or 3PO really has it of like, well, he built me for Shmi. Uh, sadly, uh, you know, Shmi has passed on, uh, but her son is here and I feel I passed to him, not to uh, the the Lars. Um, so I, I think about it that way. And then, and then we get into what you were talking about of, mm-hmm. Once 3PO has made the choice, in my conjecture, to go with Anakin, uh, the idea that Anakin and Padme exchange 3PO and R2 is wedding gifts. uh, Mm -hmm. That is in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. uh, That's in the Mm -hmm. Clone Wars micro series by Gennady Tartakovsky. And now it is in modern canon uh, with the Queen's Hope novel from E.K. Johnston. So I feel like there's there's a beauty to it that multiple levels and layers of canon have mm-hmm. always been interested in, uh, you know. So I mm-hmm. think that's a vital part of Daniel's question, right? Because because yeah. if you are just thinking of it as like Padme's just like everybody who's on the ship is leaving now. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> You're gone. And and uh, and uh, in in fact, this droid's mine now. You know, yeah. I I totally get where that's coming from. But we do have the actual like in canon. Anakin <laughs> feels that he uh, that three PO is yeah. is is his droid, and he gifts him to Padme. I do like. Uh... Yeah, to Daniel's opening question of is Padme a droid thief? And she just says, I will make it legal. I, think. <laughs> I will uh, make him gold. No one will ever <laughs> find him. Great stuff. Uh, I'm going to actually kind of yes and yours. going to adjust uh, my answer a little bit here. Um, I, I, I love this uh, 3PO kind of um, agency uh, kind of th- thought here. I also love you've got some real Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, Succession kind of talk <laughs> about, you know, kind of almost like who's 3PO's heir. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I follow that. I think this was about to happen. Yeah, 3PO was was all, all, all ready to go. And of course, who would stand between that uh, and, and uh, you know, between 3PO and, and this path forward? It would be Owen. <laughs> it would be Owen. And, you know, I can understand it. Again, a little slight justice for Owen. I get it. But I, I think it was Baru. I, I was going to say offer, but I like what you're saying, Joseph, about the decision 3PO would make uh, to, to be part of this here. So I think Baru supported that. And Owen did not like that. And he would say, I'm going to need to get another protocol droid, which Baru said, we'll just call Tika Owen. We'll just get another one. It's okay. And I think they agreed to it. However, there was some level of of kind of, I, I, I think Padme, out of, out of the depths of her soul and, and her being full of so much understanding and just empathy for the, so many people in the galaxy, she understood there, there was some question of compensation. So, I don't know, perhaps there's a royal credit card, a line of credit was open so that Owen could then acquire another protocol droid from Tika or any other source of uh, of droids there in the in, in Tatooine, in, in the greater Tatooine, Tatooine era, area there. Um, I know Tatooine's not a planet, not a city. Um, <laughs> so that's where I'm going with on, on my answer. I think taking yours and running with it. Yeah, no, I, I fully, fully agree with you. I, you know, maybe uh, maybe Padme asked Sabe to, uh, to get mm-hmm. the Lars Homestead uh, a new protocol droid. Um, 
Yeah, I, but I, the the way I imagine it is, I, I don't feel like there's a conversation of we're leaving. I feel like they get on the ship to, you know, rebroadcast to mm-hmm. look at the message or or maybe they look at the message long enough to say, hey, please re-bot, rebroadcast this. And they go to the ship and 3PO comes along and then they leave. I, so I think Owen's turning around and just going like, hey, <laughs> he took my droid. And, and much like you, Brew has to step in. It's like, Owen, that droid yeah. belonged to Shmi. That's the last this that young man has of his mother. Yeah. Not, we can get another one. Get a grip, Owen. Because uh, I don't think Owen and, and 3 people were, were best buds. Um, yeah. No. And I really, really like uh, the idea of a special edition of A New Hope when Obi-Wan is talking to Luke about, you know, passing on the lightsaber and saying, your uncle didn't want you to have it. He's uh, afraid you'd follow old Obi-Wan on some damned idealistic uh, crusade and take a droid with. Yes. <laughs> Which also, by the way, this makes me think of, you know, another fun Star Wars question is you come to New Hope now and Owen's like, has no memory of C-3PO. Right. right. Um, I understand that. I understand why people can point to that, but it's a fun, it's a fun thing to me. Yeah. But I, I, I submit this for evidence. Uh, I was at Comic-Con last weekend, ran into a, a coworker at uh, the bar. We chatted for a while, caught each other up on life. I'd only worked with him three years prior. And I went back to the group and I went to uh, uh, my friend, uh, Steph, and I went, hey, what was that person's name? <laughs> <laughs> they told me. I was like, thank you. I worked with them for two years, only a year and a half ago. Can't remember their names. Yeah. So, I, I forgive Owen. I, I don't think Owen is uh, bosom buddies with uh, his droids. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think they spend a lot of time way out in the sandy fields. Uh, and I think he does not really get on a first name basis. I think he's had a lot of protocol droids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think he would definitely be like, yeah, wait, uh, what, what was his name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love all these imagined Owen and brew conversations. Maybe that's in a new hope too. Of like, you know, he used to own that droid, right? I'm like what? <laughs> oh, I, I, well, especially now he's like, I need, I need a new protocol droid. She's like, we're enough. Owen, we're enough. You, me, we're enough. <laughs> we're enough. We can get that moisture out of the sky. Any uh, any final thoughts on this great question? No, I love it. Great stuff, Daniel. Very, very fun. The more that we can think about uh, Owen Grumping in Baru, getting him to get a grip and face reality, <laughs> the, the happier we will be. Moving on to our next Twitter cue uh, from Ray Hernandez. Uh, Ray or Rai uh, says, hi, just watched Spaceballs for the first time and loved it, even if it's very of its time. What's your favorite unofficial Star Wars comedies? Mine is Mark Camel's appearance on The Simpsons. Luke, be a Jedi tonight. Do it for Chewie and the Ewoks and all the other puppets. Uh, I'm not singing the song. It's been a while since I've uh, yeah. heard it. I-, I know the actual song. Uh, Look, be a lady tonight. Uh, is a fan of Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Very familiar mm-hmm. with that song. Anyway. Ken, where do you go with this? Uh, uh, how do you feel about um, Spaceballs? How long has it been since you've seen it? What is your Spaceballs mm. journey? Mm. I, I read, I, uh, are you ready for a uh, hot take? Um, <laughs> I uh, never really loved Spaceballs. <laughs> you know, I guess this is just our episode to be grumpy together. Because <laughs> I'm in the, we'll talk about it in more detail, but I'm in the same uh. boat. As always, massive Force Center caveat. Uh, Go to your joy if you love spaceballs. That's wonderful. Uh, but uh, yeah, I got I mm. got uh, I got a history with spaceballs. But I want to hear yours. 
Um, I look, I, I actually love Mel Brooks and love his place in in uh, comedy history. I'm obviously a big fan of, of comedy history. Uh, there's this great book by uh, Cliff Nesterhoff, The Comedians. It begins with uh, some Mel Brooks stuff in it, uh, yeah. and his history runs deep. So I absolutely love Mel Brooks as a concept and as a creator, and and, and I think he's a little more multifaceted than people would realize. Mm-hmm. I understand the importance of uh, things like Blazing Saddles, all, all those kind of things. And, and, yes, a lot of you could say, hey, of their time, I, it, it, yes, but but mm-hmm. – but, um, uh, I, I think there's some importance to what he was doing with that movie, but also I like Robin to Men's Tight. Anyway, so I don't turn this to Mel Brooks Center. <laughs> I did see it in a the theater, and I did like like it, and I was a, a kid laughing along with all this stuff. And then one time in the in the early '90s, uh, a friend of mine, Joel, a uh, big Star Wars fan, um, we joined the Columbia House VHS Club. You know. <laughs> 10 VHSs for 10 cents or whatever it was. And yeah. he's like, I'm going to get space balls. I was like, Oh my God, I haven't seen that in so long. And we sat there and watched it. And it wasn't just that the jokes didn't hit it or that times had changed or we grew up. I just was like, I just, I don't know, man. It just, I don't like it. <laughs> and I just really haven't <laughs> engaged with it since I get the cultural impact. I get the references. I like all the performers in it. Uh, big fan of Rick Moranis. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's, it, it, the jokes hit, uh, me like a, like putty on a wall and they slowly slide down and never take hold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am due a rewatching of Spaceballs because I saw it once in the theater and, mm-hmm. uh, at whatever very young age that was, uh, it made me grumpy. Um, same thing with you. Huge, huge fan of Mel Brooks. A lot of his films are extremely important the, the uh, the speaking he's done publicly about the nature of comedy and its importance. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thank Mel Brooks for David Lynch's career. Mel Brooks uh, shadow produced uh, The Elephant Man. He, it yep. wasn't super yep. public at the time because everybody would think that The Elephant Man was going to be a, a yep. big, wild Mel Brooks comedy. Uh, but great, great stories to be had from David Lynch about how somebody suggested him to uh, Mel Brooks and he had David Lynch had only made his own independent film, Eraserhead, which is a wild thing. And Mel mm-hmm. Brooks went to see it at a midnight screening. And David Lynch tells this great story of pacing outside going like, I'm just waiting two hours for this man, this very, very famous man to come out of the theater and tell me I don't have a job. Of course, he's not going to hire me. This is bonkers. And Mel Brooks comes out and with his hand stretched wide and says, you're, you're a madman. I love you. I'm going to give you this great opportunity. So yeah, mm-hmm. none of this is Mel Brooks bashing. I think the reaction that I had when I was a kid is I just, I love Star Wars and I got that some parts of it were like silly or fun or there were jokes. And I you know, as like a young kid in particular. I liked Yoda because I liked his silly parts as well as his wise parts. Um, but I think it just felt like the scene in the theater that it was just making fun of a thing I liked. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I think maybe as like a kid who grew up kind of, stereotypical nerdy and scrawny back in the eighties uh, and got teased and, and bullied and other friends did too. Of just like, I do not need to see my star Wars be teased and bullied. <laughs> just not into it. Just like, I get it. Like I, I remember laughing at the combing the desert joke. Um, yeah. Yeah. With the literal comb. But I think it, you know, and I've seen clips since, and I've seen people see how much they love it. And I'm sure if I watched it, I would enjoy parts of it. But I feel like, and again, this is coming from somebody who hasn't seen it in, in years. I feel like my reaction might be that it is poking fun and satirizing the kind of surface level of Star Wars and not getting into yeah. kind of the the underneath of 
of what is Star Wars really about? What's it really saying? And, and what's, uh, you know, what are the cultural implications? I mean, I think that's what makes some of Mel Brooks' other films powerful is they aren't just parodies of the surface. Yeah. Uh, they're parodies of like, well, what does years of, of Frankenstein pop culture mean to our culture? You know, mm-hmm. uh, w- the same thing with Westerns, right? Like uh, there's depth there as well as the, let's just have fun with the um, sort of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 again, uh, I'm full, fully caveating. I haven't seen it in years and maybe I will watch it and go, hey, I was totally wrong. But I think that might be what I'm responding to. Yes, yes. This is uh, poor. Poor Ray's like. I guess I, I just I just want to ask a question about spaceballs. <laughs> right, right, and, right. Sorry, and these, sorry. These two comics are here with comic comic theory, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, I, I think some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about here, even as some of my other answers, the things I do love, have a spirit of celebration. Uh, and I just don't go. F- I mean, we always joke. I I don't like puns. I don't like wordplay. And I just think those play on the surface, and I'm always interested. It I, I love like forty percent of my stand up back is poop jokes. Like I'm not I'm not sitting here like uh, on some artistic edge here, mm-hmm. uh, but I also think com- comedy should be communicating. And Mel Brooks has communicated so many wonderful things in his career. I just don't think a lot of it hit with Spaceballs for me. Uh, and and I and I and I I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll re-, re maybe we both revisit it uh, uh, for Ray and for Center <laughs> Audience because I'm sure we're gonna get some folks who. Uh, either agree or, or some folks are going to be like, you're, you're two old cranky nutballs and, and this is a fun movie and just laugh. I do just like to laugh. I love, I watched a man um, on a TikTok video uh, that I, I, I saw via Twitter. Like, it's so weird. You see TikTok anywhere but anywhere but TikTok these days. I saw a man <laughs> barf and slip on his own barf and I died laughing for 10 minutes until Grace had to pull me away from the phone. Like, I like silly <laughs> stuff. But, yeah, you know what I mean? This one didn't hit. Yeah, and I, I, think I because, will... because I think I, 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 even then in 87 or whatever, I was defensive over Star Wars. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely where it started as a kid. And now having like, I've had a, I've had a like literal physical list that my wife and I have made of movies we need to rewatch or whatever that hasn't seen. Spaceballs has been on the list forever. And then I've watched some clips and I am feeling like, ah, I'm not sure. But I am going to yeah. rewatch it one of these days and uh, and review my opinions. But as always, uh, we're ex- we're thrilled for people to like it because if nothing else, it's taking uh, the kind of the images and the characters of Star Wars and having fun with them. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Lucas always encouraged that. Uh, that in itself is a it, let's just goof on Star Wars, even if it's right on the surface, is still yeah. uh, fun. So I'm really glad that people get to enjoy this film. So now that we've uh, gone through our own <laughs> childhoods in relationship to comic theory, maybe we should answer the question. Uh the People actual are, question. I thought these guys were comics. It's like, we're not class clowns, man. Class clowns are, I don't, I do not connect with class clowns. I never was a class clown. I was in the back of the room going, why did I say that thing funny? And everyone in class laughed. Why did that make them make them laugh? That's what my life was. I like trying to make jokes in class. Uh, I didn't like it when for no reason someone pushed me and other people thought that was funny. That wasn't fun yes. for me. It wasn't yeah. funny. A little yes, bit of anyways. a difference. Anyways. Anyway. And thanks for the counseling, everyone. Now we're going to answer the actual question. Uh, what are the Star Wars uh, comedies or parodies that uh, really speak to you? Um, and, and I totally admit this long diatribe I just went on, but I, some of these might, I don't know, make me seem like I'm, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to answer. How about that? No caveats. I'm gonna answer. <laughs> uh, and I have done a uh, Star Wars ranked by myself, a solo Star Wars ranked on this. I've always loved Hardware Wars. Um, mm. Hardware Wars came out in 78-ish, uh, I think. It is loved by George Lucas. It was like the 
first parody. It is totally, you know, made on the fly. Um, interesting story behind it there. And it's got some surface level stuff. I mean, the Death Star is like a tennis ball or a basketball. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, there's a waffle maker. It, it's, it's not uh, this deep philosophical thing, but it also is very representative of just that era when Star Wars was everywhere and it was changing the world. And uh, I think it's a little bit more timely of a parody than uh, 10 years later with Spaceballs coming along a little bit uh, after the fact for me. This was Maybe. during it. It was of yeah. its time. And I just, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's its own kind of shared. And, and by the way, Spaceballs has this too. Uh, go ludic- ludicrous speed or any other references. We ain't found bleep. Uh, those can connect you. But I found in, in my era coming up, especially late uh, 80s, junior high, this was a movie that was almost in the back of your mind that you didn't remember existed or you thought it was a dream. You mm-hmm. you just see uh, an early VHS or some somehow I saw mine at like a camp, and it was also attached to like a Godzilla meets Bambi parody, uh, and another like a, a Close Encounters of Third Kind parody, which my mom and dad knew one of the actors in that, and somehow so that's how I saw it. We all sat down and watched it, and like I almost thought I dreamed Hardware Wars, and come later on in junior high, early high school, I meet and my friend Joel I'd mentioned the same one with Spaceballs. I mentioned Augie Ben Doggy, which was the Obi-Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. character. And he was like, whoa, Hardware Wars. It's like, Hardware Wars. And so we connected over this kind of shared, wait, did we dream this up? No, it was real. And that's why I have a lot of love for that. Yeah, that's great. I saw Hardware Wars. We used to go to the public library in Portland, Oregon, when we briefly lived there on, I think, Saturday for like kind of like Adventure Serial Day. And they would show Hardware Wars as a trailer and then play King Kong. I feel like I saw King Kong like 37 times when I was very mm-hmm. young, mm-hmm. Uh, that original. But they played it, and, and you're right, it was it was in the era. And it was like, you're, yes. you're so anxious to see anything related to Star Wars and it's uh, silly and fun and weird. I think uh, that might be part of it with Spaceballs. Spaceballs is 87, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah from a kid's perspective, you know, Star Wars is done in 83. Toys are still coming out in 84. But then that the cartoons briefly with droids and Ewoks, and that's about it. From a kid's perspective, 83, 84 to 87 is a thousand years. Lifetime. A <laughs> and it lifetime. Feels like, I think that's what it, I think that was a part of it for me as a kid too of like, Star Wars is already dead. Why are you still kicking it? <laughs> stay down. Star Wars, stay down. Yeah. Uh, so that said, I agree with uh, Ray's pick. Um, I love uh, that episode of The Simpsons. Uh, I think that's some great parody because it is getting into Mark Hamill's career and Mark Hamill's willingness to kind of play mm-hmm. with, you know, people expecting Star Wars uh, from him. Uh, yeah. And this sort of like jamming it in awkwardly. Yeah, yeah. into other uh, elements of pop culture. So that seems like that's some really great, good satire to me. Mm. Um, On the sillier side, I think I will always probably love the very most uh, Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill's appearance on The Muppet Show. It's on my list too, man. Right. It's it's just, I've rewatched that actual just episode of Muppet Show a couple times in the last few years. And it's just, it's fun. It's uh, playful. It is the uh, the Bestman outfit in its full glory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. Con- I, I think what I like about it is that Luke Skywalker is kind of trying to play it like it's real, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole <laughs> and, episode. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mark Hamill, the whole Mark Hamill thing is playing it as it is, you know, the, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I love vaudeville. Let's go for it. Let's do a song and dance. And that <laughs> that contrast is really funny to me. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I put that down as well. Luke Skywalker and the Drugs and the Muppet Show. They also did the Sesame Street, I believe, right um, mm. uh, earlier around the same time. And this was in the lead up to, to uh, Empire. So it was kind of a, that's kind of a, you know, whoa, look at this. Luke's got a new outfit and a blaster. He's got Han's blaster. Uh, it was kind of fun. And yeah, it, you know, I, I grew up in the Muppet Show. It's something that's very key to uh, my kind of entertainment com- comedy upbringing and, and perhaps mm-hmm. yours as well, because it's so much of our generation. Absolutely. Um, For years, yeah. my brother and I did a late night variety show that um, the Muppets was a part of the DNA of it. It's it, it was a big influence if you grew up with it. Yeah, it really like I do my silly little radio podcast parody show Saturday night Epsuck, and it was my my pal John Mariano pointed. He goes, you know, you're a lot of uh, the Muppet shows in this, and I was like, you know what, I hadn't even really thought about that. <laughs> that <laughs> makes awesome. a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a lot of fun. And and it, it, this one, there's there's a celebration of it. Um, and it, the crossover, Luke Skywalker, the droids, and pigs in space is is a dream crossover. Talk about multiverses. There's one I want. Um, so there's that one. And then by the same, but also it's so funny as a kid, I didn't connect it. You know, I'm watching this in that time period. Uh, you know, I'm not connecting uh, Yoda to. Uh, Henson and Oz and all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's so uh, the, 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 the DNA is all over uh, both those uh, uh, appearances there, Yoda and Empire. And of course the uh, Luke and the droids on the Muppet show where, where that all kind of began. I love that connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was one of probably the first behind the scenes details that blew my mind when somebody's like, you know, Grover, you like Grover? Like, <laughs> I'm going to blow your mind with some star Wars information. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, any yeah. other, uh, anything else on your list of what, favorite what? Uh, star Wars comedies? Not necessarily intentional, but it makes a lot of sense. It's staying in the Muppet world. Uh, this one's big. It's big for uh, my pal Mark Ellis, our, our friend Mark. Um, the Muppet Baby Star Wars episodes and the Indiana <laughs> yeah. Jones ones. Big, big. And I had no idea at the time, you know, concept of reruns or syndication. Just like I would tune in every Saturday morning hoping that this would be either the Star Wars episodes <laughs> or the, or another one. Yeah. And it just was the best. And it just, again, talk about daydreaming and celebrating and getting inside the imagination that uh, star Wars kind of helps stoke to stoke on all of us absolutely have just a, a great affinity for the Muppet baby star Wars parodies. Yeah, no, I, I, I rewatched those on YouTube a while back too. That, that, mm. Cause I remember seeing those and yeah, so little star Wars around that time. It's just like, what anything? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, final one for me isn't really a Star Wars parody. It's just a thing that I have uh, come to really appreciate. Uh, Carrie Fisher has a very short role in the horror film scream three. Uh, mm. Not necessarily my favorite Scream movie, uh, but it, Carrie Fisher's short role is just, it's just so classically Carrie Fisher, uh, mm. very interested in uh, the realities of uh, Hollywood and poking fun at them. And uh, so oh. just a great bit uh, with Carrie Fisher. Love that. All right. Any other thoughts before we take a quick break? No, other <laughs> I just feel the need to apologize again <laughs> to Spaceball fans. I uh, understand. Me too. Me too. I'm going to rewatch it, and I hope that I have a much better experience than when I was a grumpy child in 1987. And with that, (laughs) we're going to take a quick break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. 
until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about 1 minute, lasts for 5 days, and full coverage in up to 1 to 2 coats. Visit oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And we are back to continue our space balls. No, we're going to take more questions uh, from listeners to uh, from our patrons on Patreon. We are going to get uh, a little bit more serious, a little bit more uh, thoughtful as we drift from space balls back to Star Wars. This comes to us from our patron Brian Babcock. Uh, Brian says, "Hello there. After soaking up the Kenobi series multiple times, I am left, uh, much like Joseph and Gen stated in their finale discussion, that this series went to painstaking effort to connect to a new hope and helped add a new dynamic to the original film. I 100% agree and feel everything lines up very well. I also started to think about how the Kenobi series even enhances aspects of the sequel trilogy. Mainly, it explains why Leia would want to name her son Ben." A lot of people questioned this choice when the Force Awakens came out. Now we have a fantastic answer to it. It also got me thinking of Ben's return to the light in The Rise of Skywalker, which brings me to my question. 
I've always thought that the image of Han in the conversation they have simply played out as a thought in Ben's head. But what if Ben force projected the image of Han in front of him in order to actually speak to him, feel the actual touch on the cheek, be able to actually look his father in the eyes to let him know how sorry he was for what he did? Uh, I just love all the content we're getting and how even if there was no more Star Wars to be made, the stuff we have is a gift that keeps on giving when you can discover or reinterpret scenes we've seen 100 times. Thanks for reading, and may the Force be with you. Uh, may the Force be with you, Brian. Thanks for this uh, thoughtful and interesting question. Uh, Ken, any any thoughts as we're getting a little farther away from Kenobi about uh, how it's resonating out to all the other storytelling? Yeah, I, I continue to be really jazzed about that. Uh, just simple jazz, my friends. Uh, I just love Kenobi's. I, I keep saying it, it, it's brought new energy to A New Hope and, and and even Jedi and Empire and a lot of other properties for me. I just I just uh, really connect with a lot of that stuff. And and I and yeah, I know there's some discourse around that too. But it just it it it's it's like water uh, water off a duck on me. I am just so moved by what that show does and how it connects to other stories and how it has fun. I think there's just a lot of fun in it. And it isn't just going, oh, this is a weird little, uh, let's fix this thing here. It's just like, hey, we have this in the original stories, the original movies that, that inspired generation after generation. I should add, I should say Star Wars. How, how can we connect to that in, in an exciting, fulfilling way? And I, I think it continues to do that for me. Uh, and um, I just absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I think it did uh, the work to, you know, make sure that some of the concerns that some fans had about does this line up to kind of address those um, and I know for some fans it didn't work and that's fine, uh, but I think it, it did make some efforts to do that. But I feel like it was much more concerned with, uh, you know, the emotional canon, as as you have coined it, Ken, and the, mm -hmm. the, sort of the, the thematic ideas. And I think it, it does make everything so much uh, uh, richer with uh, Leia naming her son Ben. I kind of always like the explanation that, well, uh, Ben Kenobi is the one who brought all of them together in yeah. a new yeah. hope. And it was a little bit of a tribute to that. Um, but I like this additional information and uh, I've always been intrigued by it because multiple star Wars authors have mentioned in interviews and social media that they had something they're going to put in uh, various novels about this, about mm -hmm. the whole wires Han and Leia's son named Ben and we're asked to hold off. And, you know, I think Ben Kenobi would be happy uh, that patience paid off. Yeah. <laughs> And now yeah. it is really interesting to play with these, uh, with those connections, not just Leia's connection to uh, Obi-Wan, but Ben and the power of that name, that conversation with Han, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe that conversation with Luke, uh, certainly the conversation with uh, Ben Solo. Um, there is a brief mention in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book where, where Kylo uh or Ben at that time, Ben Solo acknowledges he's named after this great Jedi he's never even met. Um, mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of that, like it's a, it's a source of frustration uh, and manipulation from Snoke's perspective of Ben Solo. But once Ben Solo becomes one with the force, that's very joyful to think of him connecting with his namesake, you know, mm -hmm. connecting with Obi-Wan uh, within the force. And, and that connection is really uh, heartwarming to me. Yeah. I love that there. Yeah. And even just, for years uh, following 2015 Force Awakens, I, I, I just kind of, I, I did like, like the, hey, you know, um, and I remember even kind of discussing, wondering if, I don't know, Leia probably didn't even meet Kenobi. You know, there was that kind of thought, which I understand where that comes from. Um, now we have a different version of that. But uh, 
just this idea of like, yeah, you know, we're together because of him. <laughs> he doesn't pick me in that cantina. I don't take that job. We don't, n- none of this happens, right? None mm-hmm. of this happens. So I kind of got on that level. And, and I love, I love that you said, I think it's great to point out that, that the Reza Kyler Ren comic, which is, which is great and rewarding in a lot of ways for this kind of information of just so, another thing that could be held over Ben Solo uh, of uh, an identity that you're supposed to live up to, that you're connected to, that you don't really even want to, or the, the pressure of it could be manipulated to, to push down on you. That's a good spot. Good yeah. Another at. piece of the, the past plastered, onto Mm -hmm. his identity, which is a totally understandable anxiety that then gets manipulated by Snoke. But then the idea that at some point in his life, even in his life within the force that Ben Solo could like understand and feel what we, the audience just got to feel watching, (laughs) you know, Ben Kenobi be the first person who is, you know, uh, who Leia made this connection with, who showed her the larger galaxy, who she helped, uh, you know, get better, All, all those things, you know, it, the idea that Ben Solo could finally understand those moments is, is yes. really powerful to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, it's still fun discussion just with the force awakens of, we hear he's Kylo. Then when we get the confirmation that, yep, he is uh, Han and Leia's son. And then we get that incredibly dramatic moment where uh, Han yells out and there's like, okay, if he yelled bail, it might've made some sense to star Wars fans, but to other people would be like, why is he telling them to leave? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, or if it, if it was just a space name, it was Chadron, like, it, you know, it wouldn't have had any resonance. Right. So it always worked to me because it had resonance because like we don't know yes. the full story, yes. but we know that's a name with weight. Yes. And so it was to me, it was always a good choice and it always worked because the other options aren't for me aren't as resonant. And yeah. now I'm so happy that that moment that was resonant now has fully paid off. I mean, missed, missed opportunity by not taking Chad Ron, but, uh, you know, we can come back to that character. No, no, I, 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 I absolutely. And I forget too. um, you know, time moves on so quickly. That was the moment. Yeah. That was a big moment. Him yelling that had that kind of like, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, we, we can analyze it later, but that was an impactful moment for me, uh, personally in the theater. So love that. That's a great, that's a great bit. Yeah, I mean, he could he could have yelled son, right? But us knowing his name contributed to this mm-hmm. classic story of is he Kylo, is he Ben, you know? And yeah. and, and obviously extremely fundamental to the way Ray talked to him and, and re- related to him and spoke to him, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so let's get into then Brian's uh, great question about Ben Solo's uh, connection, realization of Han. How are you feeling about it uh, these days? Do you like it as what it's, I, I think, meant to be presented in, in the film as just a memory? Uh, or do you like the idea that it, it could be something more from some perspective? I, I, I'm, I'm open to that kind of interpretation. I, I think I, I take it as it's uh, presented, but we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of the details there. And, and you know. I just absolutely love this scene, right? I just absolutely mm-hmm. love this scene, man. And and I'll start here and answering it here with, with Brian. I really agree with Brian on, on, on there's this great value of uh, discovery or rediscovery. It's kind of both within the saga when you get to look at beats as, as they uh, connect to other parts of the story differently as more stories roll out. And just ourselves, like, what do you what do you see in the sea? What do you see in that scene in 2019? What are you seeing it now? And what's changed, what's grown, I think reinterpreting scenes over the course of our fandoms has great value, uh, which is one of the things we love doing here. So, again, this is a scene that that I think this might have been the scene that you tapped me on the shoulder because you heard me crying. I can't remember. <laughs> um, I, I think this is, a, for me, this is a, a, a memory uh, and, and that the words and wisdom that are kind of 
coming out of Han are, are from Ben's own conflicted heart and mind. You know, this is perhaps mm-hmm. something that he was saying to himself for years, those conversations he's having that we all have in our car when we're driving to an event we don't want to go to. Go home, stay, go home, go with us. I, I, so I think that's where a lot of the information came from me, uh, that these are just simply actions he wished he had taken, that he's relived, relived this conversation ever since that moment. And that's part of the war going on between them, the conflict that Ray's connecting with. And to me, this scene kind of lives in a, in a warm, squishy middle between reality and imagination. And that's why mm-hmm. it connects so deeply. Because I, I was rewatching it a couple times this morning, and there's almost like no real answer to how. You know, is it just an artistic scene, an interpretation of what's going on in Ben's head? With Star Wars, you could say there's a little force touch going on and maybe there was it was a little bit more. And I, like I said, I would be open to following that path uh, of, of, of discovery like uh, Brian's talking about here. I don't necessarily think it's Kenobi. I don't it doesn't make um, a lot of sense for maybe even Han to be there. I don't know. Um, but I'd love that this this there is no immediate this is how it happened we just have the why and it just you and i've talked so many times and we'll talk again just how, how this made han's last act last last act just full of this galaxy saving compassion and and, and, mm-hmm. and to me that means it haunted kylo and called to ben the entire time and the scene reflects that to me and i do believe it's a it's a very vibrant memory yeah yeah i think it, definitely one of my favorite scenes i think just an absolutely wonderful uh payoff mm-hmm. of the uh the beautiful cheek touch in The Force Awakens. I feel like there is an effort in the film, you know, Han's not blue and shimmering, and I think there's an awareness that there's, there's going to be those kind of questions of, of what is this, which is why I think we have that that conflicted line from from Ben, who says, you, you, you're just a memory. And then I think within that, I think there's lots of open interpretation of like, uh, but but how is, how is Ben slash Kylo experiencing this memory? Is yeah. this um, truly he's just having a conversation with himself? Is this almost like a level of uh, force meditation so that for himself, uh, Ben isn't actually calling Han's spirit there from the nether realm. It is a memory, but 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 Ben Kylo is, is literally seeing it and literally feeling it because it's a, a level of meditation within the force. You know, does he, you know, anything is possible through the force. Does he truly flash back in? time so he feels the heat on his cheek the warmth you know all that stuff i agree with you it's open for interpretation uh the the key thing to me the thing that i think is really really powerful about the scene is i do really love that it is just a memory i think the no one's ever really gone line and idea in star wars it's important to me that that isn't just about force spirits. That isn't just about Jedi who literally, mm-hmm. you know, uh, can appear before uh, some people and, and, and still commune with them, still speak with them. I think that it, it's about this great real life truth that we carry the people we knew and loved with us. No one's ever really gone if we remember them, if we try to imagine uh, that they are still speaking to us still watching over us still helping us um and i think so i I think that's just kind of beautiful in general of like it's no one's ever really gone isn't just about somebody coming back from the dark side or or a jedi use learning to Mm -hmm. become one with the force and retain their consciousness it's that anybody who ever loses someone that memories that person isn't really gone um and then i i think for me just with this scene with with kylo ben i really like the idea that that you're talking about as well, Ken, that 
whatever this is, however it manifests, what's happening is Kylo slash Ben is just finally being honest with himself. Mm. Deep down, he always knew his father loved him, even when he was angry and doubted it and pushed it away and used it as an excuse, right? Uh, Deep down, he is uh, blown away by after doing the worst thing imaginable, after putting that blade through his father's chest, his father still put that hand on his cheek and just basically said, there's nothing you could ever do to to make me stop loving you. I think he just pushed that way, pushed that away, and this scene is him letting himself feel the truth and the truth that his gruff, distant, not perfect father loved the absolute hell out of him. Yeah. Gives him the strength he needs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on top of it all, the fact that it is a, a re a replay of the bridge scene in some ways of mm-hmm. what if I had, had responded when he reached out, you know? Yeah. And, and it's also powerful that, you know, there's great stuff early on in, in, Rise of Skywalker, where Ray and, and Kylo have one another's numbers and they know what they're haunted by. Yeah. And, yep. you know, and, and Kylo tells Ray, like, you, you can't uh, let go of, you know, the, the abandonment, you know, that you feel from whatever happened to your parents. And Ray is saying, like, well, you can't, you're haunted by what you did to your father, right? So yeah. um, th- it is also, I think, him facing the worst thing he did in his mind and finding not only strength and forgiveness but a way forward through that memory yeah and, and this stuff just happened with uh his mother right her her kind of uh, passing yep. in, in the fight and and he's feeling that and and this idea because I, I love that he, he's telling the memory of his father basically and paraphrasing but like you know i can't i can't go back i can't go back and it's just a, it, i think he's been telling himself that and others for so long including ray and i think he keeps replaying that that uh the cheek moment for sure in his mind. So anyways, I, yeah, I'm with you on all that and, and, and just um, uh, what it means and, and, and uh, just this ongoing haunting slash hope. I think there was mm-hmm. the Ben inside him saw this as, as hope. You just needed to find the strength to get to it. And, and, uh, but that's so hard and that's, that's part of the challenge. Yeah. And I think it's one of the many moments in star Wars and, and with the, the Skywalker saga and the Skywalkers in particular, where, there are moments where they make a huge galactic difference because they are very powerful, right? And a a lot of different players want something out of the Skywalkers because of their power. But a lot of these big moments that make the biggest difference have nothing to do with power. They're just Mm -hmm. a small human choice that any of us could make, right? And that's what this scene is about, is him being brave enough to say, I've been down this path. And I told myself I couldn't turn back, but I'm going to be strong enough and brave enough. My father would support me if he was here. He would encourage me. I can do this. I can make the really scary choice of basically, you know, with the lightsaber heaving, like throwing away this mm-hmm. horrible addiction to the dark side and and moving toward the light. Yeah. Yeah, Kylo's journey being his own journey. There's there's Ray and and found family and and and, and choosing so much uh, of your path forward. Uh, and, and Kylo Ben clearly has big choices to make and does. But I, I think part of his journey is is go back go back to the first moments of meeting with Lor Santaka. Like you can never escape your your name, and that's certainly this this pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're seeing even even with you know I'm named by some old wizard Jedi. I don't even, I don't even want to be named, but that, that's his particular <laughs> journey and his particular story. And I'm sure that connects to so many folks. And just to go from that Laura Santeca moment to uh, 
that being a burden to being a, a source of uh, change, inspiration and love and compassion and something that he, he never leaves. And, and, and Han being that it's, it, it works for me. And I know, you know, we connect with what we uh, need to sometimes in star Wars, but uh, I love that one there too. So powerful stuff. Yeah. Very, very powerful scene. Thank you, uh, Brian, for the great uh, thoughts and the great question and the great chance to reflect on that scene. Uh, any other thoughts before we move on? No, other than uh, in Spaceballs 2, when they do this scene. <laughs> uh, the Spaceballs Awaken. I look forward to it. Uh, moving on to our final question uh, from our patron, uh, Jay. Jay says, was Dooku's interrogation of Obi-Wan on Geonosis done at the behest of Sidious? or of his own volition. I know part of the beauty of that scene is the ambiguity and sowing of mistrust by verbally hiding in plain sight. That said, it always read to me like a gamble by the Count, where his follow-up direction will be based on Kenobi's reaction and answer. Had Obi-Wan genuinely acquiesced, would uh, Dooku actually have used him to take down his master Sidious? And if so, would it be via the light or the dark? Side note, this scene, more than any other in Star Wars, is the one I find myself randomly thinking about. Uh, these are yeah. some great questions. Uh, I know we've talked about it uh, before uh, when we did the breakdown of this scene, but I think it this uh, scene always invites uh, look, looking at it in, in fresh ways. Um, so, Ken, I want to start with the, the first part of Jay's question about Sidious. Do you think, like... Do you think Sidious was aware of like, hey, and uh, if you're capturing this Jedi, just yeah, confuse him a little bit, frighten him a little bit with some, uh, you know, implication that maybe there's something they don't know about in the Senate? Ooh, I, I, I like what you say there. I like that angle. I, I almost take it as if it's not specific to, hey, boss, I've got Kenobi, which you could. I just like that's kind of an overall mandate, right? Like when mm-hmm. they were hatching this plan 10 years prior or whatever, just like, look, we've got to continue to muddy the waters i, I use uh, the phrase weaponizing trust and how mm. we can bend that word and and bend what facts might be and just you know in, in, inflame people's passions and just confuse them i i so often look at this scene and jay you, you're with we're with you this is um this is one of our favorite scenes in, in star wars that's why we did the scene by scene breakdown I, I think often just, you know, I, I live in that, like, I, I call the scene, you know, you know, when Star Wars asks, asks you, you know, who do you trust? And and playing with that that trust, because this is the story of, of good and evil, and it's so easy to say everything on, on the on the dark side is, is a lie. I think they, they do, it tends to push towards that, but it certainly starts with this, let's take something you might be feeling and push it, push it down your, your throat a little bit here. And I think that's always what's going on. And, and, and I, I take it as a, I've always, I, I look at it as Dooku's little side quest though, that regardless mm-hmm. of what city has said, everything Dooku's doing here is, is uh, him going, Hmm, I got an opportunity here. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. I mean, I think uh, some George Lucas quote could emerge that I've never heard of saying, absolutely, uh, Dooku did that on Sidious's orders. And I would be say like, okay, cool, that makes sense because Sidious is about sowing mistrust. Yes, yeah, yeah. But my gut reaction to the scene is that Dooku is really taking the initiative here. And yeah, it works yeah. fine for Sidious. He's not crossing a line too much. Hmm, Sidious expects him to poke around at... <laughs> yeah. Find an apprentice and that kind of thing, and Sidious will uh, will step on it if he thinks it's going too far, which he does with Asajj Ventress in the Clone Wars animated series. But yeah, Sidious wants to have the Jedi looking over their backs. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote down the great uh, discussion at the end of uh, Attack of the Clones, where Obi Wan, Yoda, and Mace are talking, and Obi Wan's asking if it's if they think it's true what Dooku said that uh, 
that this Dark Lord Sidious could be in control of the Senate. And Yoda says lies, deceit, creating mistrust are his ways now, uh, meaning Dooku. Then Mace immediately says, nevertheless, I feel like we should keep a closer eye on the Senate. And Yoda says, I agree, which is one of my favorite Yoda deliveries. Yes. Uh, um, so I, I think that is really in the film to show us that was the that was the, the intent and the result of Dooku's comments of give this give them this half truth that's just enough for them to start chasing every shadow, for them to start uh, doubting every other Jedi, every politician and just spread the mistrust. So I feel like uh, Dooku didn't succeed at uh, getting Obi-Wan on his side, if that if that was a hope, but he sure did succeed in spreading mistrust. We see it uh, expressed in lots of ways in the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Sidious, so we're both on the same page of a, maybe Sidious made the command, but you, do you feel also like Dooku's, it's a little bit more Dooku's, Dooku's play? I think he thought he had aligned Kenobi through Qui-Gon and again, you know, weaponizing trust, but like, all right, all right, let me try this. Let me try this angle here. Uh, and then, you know, uh, it goes on, the scene plays out as, as it does. But I, I so I think, so e- even if there was some kind of, you know, if, if Sidious knew Kenobi's here, I still, I still think Kenobi makes, uh, yeah, you know what? Good. Let's do it. I think, I think Dooku is like, awesome. That I, I won't, let's go get him. Like, I, I still think that's that play. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, Sidious would want to know, you know, what Kenobi knows so he can move the chess pieces around, you know, yeah. but I think Dooku's actual, uh, interrogation slash manipulation, attempted manipulation of Kenobi I think Dooku is just poking around, you know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, I think Dooku is keeping his options open. Um, yeah. And I think I agree with you. I think uh, I think Dooku's really curious of like I've heard great things that he's really you know strong and powerful and wise. Uh, does he question the order as much as Qui Gon did? Uh, does he have any other kind of vulnerability I can expose that I didn't know about? I think. The fact that Dooku's path into this dark side appears to kind of start with frustration with the order that they won't help people, they won't save people. It's like, is that a way in yeah. to uh, breaking Kenobi? Uh, and to answer Jay's question, I think if Kenobi gave him anything to work with in, in that conversation, which he doesn't, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and Dooku's just like, eh, you're a disappointment. Uh, I think if Kenobi gave him anything to work with, I think Dooku would have happily followed the traditional path. He would have tried to, you know, feed on whatever little seed of anger or fear that mm-hmm. Kenobi has. Even if Kenobi said like, oh, sure, fine, I'll make a deal with the devil and together we'll get Sidious. Yeah, yeah. I think he still would, he would have just, he would have tried to break him. Um, mm-hmm. He would yeah. have tried to feed on the fear or the anger that Obi-Wan has. Yeah. Uh, he would have tortured him. Mm-hmm. direct spoilers uh for the book dark disciple um and i think he would have tried to you know turn obi-wan to the dark side yeah similar to some stuff happened uh with lost others yeah no i i agree with the and you know dooku is described often i always cite, uh, cite to christopher lee himself talking about dooku being so immoral only only concerned with his own his own power so uh, you know he would use whatever methods available to get his way and get more power but i just can't imagine he just can't touch the light side anymore Truly, once you start down the dark path, forever will dominate your destiny. And I just think he wants to cut poison Kenobi, 
Um, and, to, and you know, it's funny, this is something that I can't even remember in our scene by scene, if we discussed it too much, or it's just maybe more on my mind. No, now, since we've just been focusing on Kenobi a lot over the last few months, I really want to, this is another, put it in the chapter uh, the, in, in, in the file folder of Kenobi not breaking. It's just yeah. such a Kenobi doesn't break moment. And that includes some actual mistrust or some information out there that's confusing your soul like uh, he's he's pretty sure about the Qui-Gon thing uh, you know Qui-Gon would never join you but I think there's sometimes I sometimes I look at it as a little bit of an ellipsis a Gen X ellipsis at the end of that <laughs> sentence um but despite all that uh it's another example of, of Kenobi not breaking yeah no he gives him nothing to work with right yeah nothing yeah yeah and and I think uh just to kind of follow it through to his conclusion I think uh if uh, Duco had discovered that, ooh, there's a way in. Kenobi's kind of giving me this guff, but ooh, I sense this fear, or this weakness, or uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive in. But yeah, I think he absolutely would have turned Kenobi and used him against Sidious. I think that's mm-hmm. that is the way. Um, uh, but he doesn't, and I think the the gambit is, and so if I use this uh, this half truth about Sidious in order to get in there and try to manipulate Kenobi, if he says no, like he did, uh, the, the worst I have is I've uh, spread some great mistrust. Yeah. Yeah. Dooku wins no matter what. Yep. Dooku wins. That's, that's his goal. That's the goal. (laughs) Dooku winning, uh, which he does until he doesn't. Uh, thanks Jay for the great question. Uh, Those are questions. We have a new power of the light side entry this week. This comes to us from Michael McCarcel. Are you ready, Ken? I am ready. Michael says, hello, Force Center friends. I'm going to get a bit literal with this one. I promise this will make sense. The last two months or so have been quite the ride for me. I was sadly uh, forced to vacate the place I've been living in since 2018 and had to move back in with one of my parents. However, with this living space development, I won't have to pay rent and will have the opportunity to go back and finish college after a decade out. I'll also be able to quit the dead-end job that has brought me nothing but stress. With all of these sudden developments, I find myself sinking into self-doubt. Can I even do this? Am I capable? Should I even try? It's times like these that I need many of the lessons from Star Wars the most. And as a very simple comfort, I allow myself a moment of calm. I turn off all the lights, stand in front of a mirror, and turn on a lightsaber. That wonderful symbol of hope cutting through the darkness Let's me come back from the negativity and calm my mind, if only for a bit. The power of the light side, indeed. You will know when you are calm, at peace, passive. I don't know what the future holds for me, but I have to have hope and do my best. Thank you all, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you, Michael. Thank you uh, for sharing uh, this very honest, uh, very literal in a great way, uh, and very uh, relatable power of the light side ken do you have any thoughts or reactions yeah you look michael we're with you on your journey forward i've trust me i've been there uh, currently in some kind of situation of uh well uh, i gotta i gotta look at it as the future is wide open uh not that doors have been closed uh <laughs> and, and it's gonna happen again and again and again there's always gonna be seasons of that and seasons of change and you can only step forward uh and not hold on too much to the past uh, and that's always uh, hard to do. But I love what I love about this more than anything is is the description of of, of the the lightsaber, this uh, weapon of a Jedi. It's called that. It is that in a lot of ways. But this idea of it being a symbol of hope and the cutting through the darkness, something that's so I don't know, just was so impactful with the Kenobi series. That wonderful little description of what the Force feels like to Leia. Mm. 
And then mm-hmm. in, in chapter four, episode four of the Kenobi series, where that literally is what happens, uh, where she's captured and in the darkness, the lightsaber emerges. And, and yes, there it's uh, very much a weapon, but it's also the symbol of, of hope. And and we can take that in, 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 in Star Wars. And we take that in our toys. And going back to some of our, our conversations you and I always have about memorabilia. And mm-hmm. it, yes, it is consumerism. It is what can you buy? It is you, you, you get dollar signs and stars in your eyes when you walk into a toy store and you got to have it all. Yep, I totally get that. And I have a storage shed of things I might not need as much as I used to. But there's those little things that you have and those little things you take about it. It's, it's what's in your hands. It's what's in your life, what's in front of you. I, I have no doubt uh, that Michael is being very sincere here, that just the image of a, of a lightsaber in a dark room uh, can work Um to provide you hope because it, it, we always say here four center friends. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of casual star Wars fans that's come through here. And uh, if you stay, it's because star Wars grabs you in a special way and we all understand mm-hmm. it and we're not alone in it. And uh, I love Michael's story here, Michael, all you gotta do is step forward. Yeah. Well said, Ken. Uh, yeah. Our, our hearts are with you, Michael. It is very relatable. I have had uh, definitely uh, many times in life uh, where there is a change in circumstance and you could be, it can be an opportunity, but it can also have these moments of, uh, of fear and concern and all those things. Very relatable. Um, and I really, really relate to the moments where Star Wars can help me cut through all that and get past the noise and the anger and the fear. And and just uh, there's a feeling when you can kind of recenter on what you're certain of. Like that's I think that that the line that Michael quotes from Yoda, you will know when you are are calm, at peace, passive. Um, it's such a wonderful feeling when you can get to that place where you step back far enough and you remember what matters to you. Mm. Like, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm frustrated about this, that, or this, but like at the end of the day, what truly matters to me? And you get that feeling of, of clarity and peace. And I think that is what's powerful to me about star Wars that I love so much about uh, the, the, toys and the, mm-hmm. the weird characters and the awesome action scenes and the history and everything. But at the end of the day, it's just these stories capture uh, philosophy that is deep and true and resonant, right? And, mm-hmm. and they're not just from Star Wars. It's just that Star Wars packaged them in a way Correct. that allows, uh, you know, some of us to wield it and have it to help our lives and, and to create something that's a lightsaber, right? <laughs> that's a, mm-hmm. It's a fantasy weapon. It's a cool space sword, uh, but it's imbued with all these ideas that can kind of cut through the darkness, as Michael says, uh, cut through the noise and just be this concrete symbol of hope, of being centered, of truly being aware of who you are and what is most important to you. And it's one of the main reasons that I just love Star Wars and always will. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Thank you very, very much, Michael. Uh, Oh, thank you, Ken. Uh, um, If you, listener, uh, patron, uh, have a Power of the Light side that you would like to share, it can be deep and and, uh, relatable like Michael's. It can just be, uh, hey, a a vest you like that reminds you of Star Wars. Anything uh, positive, celebratory, hopeful, uh, feel free to look for the post on our uh, Patreon uh, for the Power of the Light side entry and share it. If we get more entries, we will keep sharing them and we'll let you, uh, every every few episodes, we'll remind you that that is an option. 
Uh, Ken, any final thoughts on any of our cues or Power of the Light Side? <laughs> I love the cues show. It is always uh, takes us so many parts of the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, how we, uh, you know, our perspectives, what we engage with, but also uh, love hearing all of your stories out there. So thanks, uh, Michael, and everyone else who uh, continues to contribute to the Power of the Light Side. Good stuff. Absolutely. So, Ken, where can people find us? Hey, we the Force Center Podcast feed. We're on Twitter at Force Center Pod, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Hey, give us a subscription, press that bell, all those wonderful YouTube things over there on the YouTube channel. We've got a live show coming up uh, Friday, July 29th. Do a live QA show once a month. More content coming. Uh, we have the Lessons from Little Leia essay out there too, working on uh, We're both trying to work on some other ones. Man, it's really hard to do everything at once, but uh, stand <laughs> by. We got some more things coming. Uh, Facebook pages, Force Center Podcast, podcast available on ACAST, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. You can find me at Cadnapsock or go to my website cadnapsock.com. There's other things I'm doing. You know, we are getting close to uh, fantasy uh, fever pitch season here. House of the Dragon, <laughs> Rings of Power, not to mention Andor, Bad Batch coming. We've got Andor and Bad Batch on Force Center, but I'll be talking about Rings of Power and House of the Dragon on my uh, podcast, Casterly Talk. Uh, so uh, head over and check that out. You can link to it from my website. Uh, Joseph, uh, what do you got cooking? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can check my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all my other comedy adventures, past, present, and future. Speaking of future, I'm doing a show at the convention in Minneapolis, Convergence. It is in August. There's information on the shows that I'm doing there and the convention itself on my website, at josephscrimshaw.com. So check that out if you're interested. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for 3PO, deciding for himself, maybe, this has been Force Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.